Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week we have an interview with Cecilia Mecca. And it was a lot of fun to talk with her, and she shared some really good information, great tips, and lots of good stuff. She's really, really, really smart and funny. She's hilarious. We, we have a good time on this interview. So, yeah. So, Sarah, what's been going on with you? Um, uh, this week, I am just inching along in book five of the High Society Lady Detective series. That's kind of how mm-hmm. I do it. It just mm-hmm. feels so slow, but keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I'm doing a little dictation every day and then I take that and, uh, edit that. It's really mm-hmm. messy and raw when I get done with it, but it gives me right. something to work with. So, right. So That's doing good. that and then doing some of the podcast stuff, I feel like we're kind yeah. of, uh, finding our feet. Yeah. Know, with the yeah, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> tons of tons of just, I get notes every day, you know, saying they've heard the podcast. It's been really great. And uh, yeah. people are re- receiving it really, really well. Yeah, so you were going to tell us something about this interview that was Cecilia. Oh I, yeah. So uh, when we were talking to with Cecilia, we had a little technical difficulty and uh, in the so, name of tug, my dog. Yeah. Tug is a little, uh, pushy had to get mm-hmm. his two cents in <laughs> he's a big he's got a big head yeah <laughs> but um mm-hmm. so he came through and we were talking about um print books and Celia mm-hmm. said you know any tips you've got she'd be interested and then we went on and didn't get to talk about it so I was just going to say for print I do um I do hardcovers and I do uh, large print and mm-hmm. I the way to that I've gotten them out the easiest way to get the word out is just to tell your readers. Like when you send a mm-hmm. newsletter, say, Hey, mm-hmm. did you know the books are in print and you can request them from your library. And mm-hmm. then, you know, a lot of times the libraries will order them in and um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then if you have a local bookstore, you can kind of get to know them. And um, sometimes they're, if they're interested, that's a good way to get books in print and get them in the stores. But that's a but little that's bit But that's through harder. Ingram Spark, right? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. Use Ingram. You have to do it through Ingram. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to enable returns. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a, if you want the bookstores to have them. So, so anyway, yeah. that's a little, just a little quick tip on that. So, yeah. so what have you been doing, Jamie? Mm. <laughs> okay. Read, uh, listeners, you, you sit back because <laughs> it, it, it's a Jamie story. Um, yeah. I've really struggled. Um, just a little personal, something. My uh, nephew died back in May. And then in January, we had another loss that wasn't, no one died, but it was a pretty big loss for our family. And I have, um, yeah, I've just really been struggling. And I think what happened was I tried to really push through the grief and, and, you know, after a certain period of time, you think, oh, I should be okay. And you're not really okay. And so it's sort of hit me um, over the last few weeks and I'm trying to make some decisions about some things. So that's hard. Maybe we'll do an episode. We'll get Becca sign back on here and we'll talk about how to write through the hard times. The problem is my strengths are such that I can't really separate myself from that to write mm-hmm. funny yeah. uh, when I'm really sad. So that's been really hard. Um, and I think you had even mentioned it that on the last few times that we got on the podcast to do the introduction, I didn't sound very happy. (laughs) I was like, womp, womp. But (laughs) it's, yeah, it's just a struggle. And I'm, I doubt I'm the only person struggling, but it feels like it. Yeah. And you feel like you're the only one. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's hard, you know, it's Mm -hmm. hard if, if we only had to write, that would be one thing, but mm-hmm. we don't. We have a whole life, all of us, and uh, some of us can make that separation. And in fact, it's kind of therapeutic for us to make that mm-hmm. separation and and leave mm-hmm. the bad, you know, the sad and bad stuff behind and just write. 
And some of us, it, some of us just not, it's not, yeah. po- I mean, and if you try to do it when you're not wired that way, mm-hmm. it can mm-hmm. make it worse. I think yeah. and I'm one of those yeah. people that like, I like to have everything settled mm-hmm. and I like a routine. Mm-hmm. And if anything is going on in my life, it makes it harder for me to write. And I, I do know writers that they, um, they can use their writing like as a refuge. They can leave all yeah. that stuff They take behind. solace in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not me. And so, mm-hmm. and I think, mm-hmm. you know, just sharing that will help people, you yeah. know, know that, yeah. you know, uh-huh. they're, they're not the only one that's going through that. And right. sometimes it takes a little while to realize, oh, mm-hmm. this is not working and to figure out what to do. Yeah. Yeah. What so. to do next. And so, you know, I mean, it's hard because it's hard admitting you can't be what you want to be, even if that want is unrealistic. Like even mm-hmm. under the best of circumstances, I'm not going to be a super fast writer, but mm-hmm. it's still hard admitting that. And um, so I'm, you know, on top of that, I'm on top of the grief. I'm still having to come to grips with that. I can't be all that I want to be. So um, yeah. So that's me, you know, <laughs> I'm a real party these days. So yeah, y'all come on over. But um, we still have a lot of fun in these interviews. And I think that's important to share. It's important to share the highs and the lows. I remember somebody was talking about writing. I don't remember who it was, but they said, you have to have the high and you have to have the low because if you never have the low, you don't feel the full, it's not like the full experience. So, you know, and I think that's important to share. So, right. Right. Yeah, I think so, so. Anyway, yeah. we'll move on now to the fun interview with Cecilia because she <laughs> is fun. And I told her last week, I told her after last week's podcast, I said, I outed us on our bad eating habits and she just laughed. So uh, we don't talk about that in this podcast, but if you want to know yeah. about it, go back to the last yeah. podcast with Nathan. Yeah. Yeah. It was mentioned so, last week. So yeah. I think we're all yeah. right there on, we could all eat better. <laughs> Definitely. (laughs) As I go off to have Chick-fil-A for lunch today. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, here's the interview with Cecilia. Y'all take care. Cecilia Mecca is the author of steamy historicals that transport readers to another time and place. She also writes paranormal romance about the ultimate bad boys, sexy, wealthy, and swoon-worthy vampires. She can be found in Northeast Pennsylvania, chai in hand, thinking up new ways to tame both medieval and paranormal bad boys. And she's also the creator of a great Facebook group for authors launching Indie. Hi, Cecilia. Hi, ladies. How are you? Good. Hi, Cecilia. Good morning. So uh, you're in your cozy sweater and I'm in a tank top because Because it's winter in Texas and that's what we wear. That's what we wear. (laughs) I am so jealous. I wrap myself in this thing every day. It's so cold up here. Oh, well, it looks very nice and cozy. (laughs) So, Cecilia, tell us what genres, uh, we just went over it in the bio, but give us a little more information about the genres you write in and, um, yeah, just anything you want to talk to us about about that. Yeah, so I started off in medieval romance. I never know if I call it Scottish romance, historical romance, medieval romance, Scottish historical medieval romance. (laughs) (laughs) So we could go with any of those, but uh, that's kind of my main genre, so to speak. Last year, I launched a a series in paranormal romance with the vampires, and that was a lot of fun. And then this year, I'm going to dip my toes. I'm going to put my big girl pants on and dip my toes into contemporary romance as well. So, oh, yeah, I know. And uh, Jamie doesn't know this yet, but she's going to help me. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it'll be tons of fun. But now are you doing that under Cecilia Mecca or? No. So I've learned my lesson. I'm happy to talk about that at some point. You Mm -hmm. know, I think it's actually a perfect topic for this particular podcast. Yes. Yes. I've certainly learned, um, you know, what not to do with uh, launching a new genre. So this one will have a pen name. Secret. Secret pen name for writing. Yeah. So secret um, in that I I (coughs) have no problem telling people in terms of authors. Um, I think it's going to make sense for people to know it's me. What I really want is for my existing readers to not find out about it, at least for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, Makes I don't know sense. call it secret, secret for readers. Yes. Delayed. Delayed. Yeah. A delayed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so tell us, how did you get into writing fiction? Yeah. So I'm an, I was an English teacher. I think every English teacher secretly, you know, wants to mm-hmm. be a 
So I've always, um, you know, loved literature and I taught English for 15 years. And then for my last five years in education, I taught teachers. So I went around to school districts in Pennsylvania and did workshops and things like that on, I was an ELA consultant. So English language arts and writing was one. Um, so I've always really had this desire and I've been reading my entire life. I was a medieval studies minor, so it all kind of fits together. And I've read romance since Sweet Valley High. Um, and I've always had this goal. I want to write a book, but I just never imagined it as a career, uh, until, you know, I put the first book out and then, you know, it did well, the second book did really well. And here I am full time and it's amazing. So I retired, uh, after 20 years in education and have been writing full time. This is going into my third year. That's awesome. That is, awesome. That is great. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a nice merging of like your, your interest and like you had a lot of, sounds like you already had a lot of the research background for it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I'm a weird bird. I guess I absolutely love the research. It's a part of, you know, I could see someday doing historical fiction and that's a whole different animal, but I love the research. I love medieval studies. I love romance. Um, and I love teaching too. So jumping into nonfiction a little bit with my author group you mentioned. So thanks for that. I, I could see kind of tapping into the last few years as a consultant too, and just kind of bringing it all together. Maybe would have gotten a few less degrees and, you know, that I'm still paying money on um, to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. But at least I found it eventually, right? <laughs> That's the important thing. Yeah. I know. So what was the, your first big success? Was it the first book? No, so let's say the second one. The first book, I actually planned to launch The Thieves Countess until I kind of learned about strategies and then put a pause on that release, went back and wrote a prequel novella, The Word's Bride, and I used that as my lead magnet. And um, so I released those very quickly together and you know made mistakes there talking about what I learned. I released The Word's Bride on Super Bowl Sunday. I have no idea what I was doing. <laughs> When I look back, I laugh. I said, what in the world? Um, I mean, honestly, it wasn't supposed to be a big launch. It was like, okay, let's just get this novella out there so I can start giving it away for free. Um, but, you know, do I wouldn't do that again. So I put those out in pretty quick succession, and it did okay, and it got some visibility. But the second book, The Lord's Captive, um, in a now-finished series, that's the one that it, it just sold really well. And um, by the time that one was out, maybe a month or so, two months, I started to look at this completely different. You know, maybe this isn't a hobby. Maybe this could be a career because I was replacing, almost replacing my income Wow. Um, at that point. So yeah, so I would say the second one. And, and when I look back, you know, I, I think the cover was really on point. It's still one of my favorite covers. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, but I kind of put all of the pieces in place for that one to be successful. But there's been books that have come out since then that weren't as successful as that one. So I, I do think some of it is, you know, just right time, right place, luck, time of year. You know, I tried to replicate it. I was like, okay, June is the thing. I will now always punch in June. <laughs> but it's not that easy as you guys know. And the universe goes, uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good luck trying to pinpoint that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. That's well, so what do you wish you'd known about um, writing or craft that, as you look back now? I wish I had read craft books because I, I kind mm. of came into this a little um, with a bigger head than I should have. I was an English teacher. I had studied literature my whole life mm -hmm. and I taught writing. So this was, you know, I at least knew how to write. Sure. Um, <laughs> what I didn't know is that writing fiction and specifically genre fiction has its very own rules. I really hadn't read a lot about 3X structure. I knew what it was. Um, so I wrote The Thief's Countess and I went back. I had to so heavily edit that I probably should have rewritten it, but I wasn't willing to give it up. Um, but just, you know, some simple books. My two favorites are Kathy Yardley, Rock Your Plot. And for me in Romance, Romancing the Beat, a very short but great, you know, plot structure book. Those things could, just those two could have really helped me save a lot of time and mm -hmm. trouble with that first book. So um, I had wish I read some craft books. And when people come to me now, that's the first thing I do is say, go read Kathy Yardley and start from there. And then at least yeah. understand plot. And, you know, even if you're not a plotter and don't plan to be a plotter, just knowing that inherent um, 3X structure or whatever you use, I kind of have some different ones now that I've tested out. Yeah. Just knowing something with about reader expectations in that specific niche, which for me is genre fiction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you did a great podcast with Nathan Van Koops about plot 
books. I thought that was great. I'm yeah. a yeah. plot geek too. And so I love that. And I was like, Ooh, new, new resources. So we'll, we'll link to that so people can go find that. If they're yeah, book faces live. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Nathan is fantastic and he's a plot geek too. So we're, you're in the plot geeks club with us. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> it's a fun place to be. I never imagined being here to be honest. I was, I was a panster. And so I, I came to the dark side. Yeah. Yeah. You can see over my shoulder here. <laughs> Someone's I've a been a plotter. Yeah, no, I'm really not. But I, I've had such so much trouble starting and then getting stuck that I have forced myself to try to plot. And so I, I was using Romancing the Beats. Um, so I did that this weekend. I love and it. Jamie's showing, Jamie's it showing a, a poster board with a bunch of beautiful, bright, sticky notes on it. Yes. So that, she's got her book planned out now. Well, we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> but you have a plan. <laughs> I have a plan. So, Cecilia, tell us about marketing. I mean, what do you do uh, and what you wish you'd known about it when you started? Yeah, so I kind of do. What do you do now? I guess. Yeah. I came from a unique place because I was a blogger for many years. So I had a bit of a platform. So in some ways it was a head start, but not so much because that platform, they weren't book readers and I had never, you know, I had thousands of Twitter followers, but they were following me from my blog, which was kind of parenting hacks and um, pics and things like that. So um, what I wish I had known is about marketing that I know now after three years is how important the packages. And mm. I've known that from the beginning. I've been hearing that from the very first, mm -hmm. you know, course I took in the first broadcast I've heard, but now I really get it. And I understand what reverse engineering means a little bit. Um, so for a long time, I thought, okay, I'm coming into this with a platform. So I really did use social media. I didn't advertise, paid advertise for a long time. And even now, it's, it's, I run a Facebook ad for two weeks when I release. That's it. Um, I run Amazon ads. And, uh, you know, so I kind of use that, that social media platform. And I still do to mm -hmm. launch. Um, but what I didn't realize then is... It's fantastic that I want to write certain things. And I feel like if I write Jeffrey, his brother should have a story. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But is Jeffrey's story compelling enough to sell a book? Does that story necessarily match with, uh, let's say, a, a trope? Um, mm -hmm. Now I'm very conscious of exactly what that package is going to look like. How am I going to market this book over all of my other books? And I think of that now before I even start writing. So I kind of have to marry what I feel, you know, where the muse takes me and also how will this book sell and what will the cover look like? And those are things I never thought of until well after the book was written, you know, so I kind of went with my muse. I felt like this was the next good book and then, you know, went that direction. Now I'm a little bit more deliberate about a lot more deliberate about that. Right. So when you say package, like what's yeah. in that package? Yeah. Sorry. So the package is, you know, the cover, mm -hmm. the blurb, the mm -hmm. title. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm used to titling books, you know, after sometimes after I sent it to the editor because I'm so bad at it. Now I recognize that title is really, really important and going to pull mm -hmm. people in. Um, so I've completely reversed how I approach a book. So for instance, in the pen name that I mentioned, um, you know, jumping into contemporary, I don't have the story, but I do have the photo that I'm using, the title, the tropes I'm hitting and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. So that's very different than the way I did it when I first started. Right. Yeah. I think tropes are important too. I mean, you know, knowing that trope um, or at least having one, I, you know, I tend to throw about 16 in, but <laughs> having the one is, is important because that is part of the marketing too. Yeah. Um, interesting. I don't start a book unless I have a title. Really? I always have my titles first. Yeah. Uh, the running from a rock star was actually rock my world until I realized that there were about 12 rock my worlds and about five of them were erotica. And I'm like, Oh, I can't go with that one. <laughs> and then I had to do something else. But after that, they all, I had a title for, uh, yeah, for all my books. I even have titles for books that I haven't, that I'm going to write like next year. I'm not yeah. surprised because you're smart and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just think that that's how we all think so differently. I mean, you know, we yeah. all just, so I think that's encouraging though, because you don't have titles and you've been super successful. So I, I think that's really, really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. There's, there's a few ways to skin this cat for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, so on the marketing, we wanted to ask you too um, about um, Facebook Live and Facebook groups because you seem to use those and use them really well. So um, do you have any thoughts, ideas, tips on that, um, things you would recommend people do or don't do? Yeah, sure. So I'm a huge fan of free marketing strategies. Um, mm-hmm. I like organic a lot because it it is free. Uh, so <laughs> free is <laughs> good. I'm a fan of that because <laughs> You know, I feel like I'm giving my money and, and I'm happy to pay for ads when they convert and they work well, but it's just so frustrating when they don't. So I'm mm-hmm. constantly on the look for what's the next social media thing that I could also tap into while I'm sim- simultaneously learning how to do ads and such. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, it was Facebook page and then, you know, the organic reach on yeah. pages went away. And that's why I migrated over to Facebook Live because Facebook was prioritizing that. Um, I still think Facebook live is fantastic. Now I'm attaching the lives to comments, to bots and doing things a little bit different. Um, groups still have good reach. And that's why I really do focus on that. And I think a lot of, I, I've seen um, some amazing authors do things in groups and I'll be honest, I go in and I get ideas from them. Uh, mm-hmm. Listen to, I can't remember it, but I can certainly give it to you afterwards. One podcast that I think was really kind of life changing in terms of how to be deliberate about groups. Again, being very mm-hmm. strategic about you know, the certain kinds of posts that you're putting up so that you get engagement. Um, having once a week in a group, something that is relatable, that that really is just fun and you're not selling your book, just to reminding yourself, you know, you're not supposed to be selling all the time. And I know that and I know 80-20 and I, I get that. But sometimes, especially when a book is coming out, you get so excited, like, yeah. you know, check this out. So you have to remind yourself, okay, once a week, absolutely nothing about a book and it's just a relatable post. Another day of the week, we're doing a survey. Again, nothing about the post and not a survey in terms of I put up an actual survey because those will, they're dead in the water um, because there's no engagement. People are clicking on a link to take a survey. So instead something quick that people could, you could, you know, crowdsource or just a fun survey. Um, I do a lot of emojis, you know, so choose an emoji or, or let's do a GIF celebration or something like that. But surveying is fantastic as long as you're not using the built-in survey, mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of encouraging comments. And then, you know, maybe the day after one of those posts that do really well, then you kind of put something out. So knowing I've just engaged a bunch of, um, you know, readers, Facebook likes those posts. So, you know, they're probably mm-hmm. going to give me some slack today. And then after <laughs> that, it's, you know, start the clock again. Yeah. So um, being strategic about it, but also having a lot of fun and just knowing that, in my reader group, uh, they're there, yes, to connect with me and yes, to hear about the books. But um, we also just want to have fun and, and, and have a good time. So right. You know, right now we're on, you know, a Henry Cavill kick and we'll just, you know, ride that wave <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> yeah, for hopefully a long, long time. You know? I actually think I might dedicate a week, a day a week. And I think that could be my new thing. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was, I uh, was on Instagram and I saw, I follow Colleen Hoover because she's a genius, but she was talking about, um, when she wrote one of her books and I can't remember the name of it now, but a lot of her readers started calling messaging her and saying the lead character for this book is on American Idol. Like this guy on American Idol looks oh, just wow. like this. And so she reached and then they started mess. The, her fans started messaging him. So she messaged him and just say, Hey, this is what's happening. So they sort of collaborated on some songs for this book, but she said, I wanted to give my readers something special. So she got him to be on the cover of that book. Oh, you're kidding me. Wow. No, and Like I got chills just saying that because it's like just being so tuned into your readers and wanting to give them that. Yeah. I just thought that was so, so, so smart. And, um, and I think that's the next level stuff, you know, where you really mm-hmm. go from just being in, you know, entertaining your readers to being in this relationship with your readers. And uh, I just, I thought that was just so brilliant. So. Yeah. And knowing them, I mean, you mentioned probably the most important thing and that is knowing who your readers are and yeah. knowing what they want. Everyone says that, but really getting to know them has been, and that's what the Facebook group in the live, because I mm-hmm. feel like those two are similar. Um, they're really kind of letting me dive in to, you know, what my readers are thinking. That mm-hmm. is so important. I always thought, well, I know my readers. I'm one of them, right? Mm-hmm. I read historical romance for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some degree, that's true. But I'm not specifically my readers today, what they're looking for, what they want. Mm-hmm. Why are they in my group? And I've asked that question before, and I'll ask it at least once a month. 
you know, why are you here? Because those answers are what I want to give them more of. Um, I was, I was at a, you know, I was in social media long before books and I remember being at a conference once and this is going to seem really simple, but I thought it was brilliant. There was a keynote speaker and she's, she's just an expert at social media marketing. And she said, now, listen, I know I'm here to talk about Pinterest and that's kind of the focus of this keynote speech, but I will tell you for every social media channel, your goal is to figure out what's working and do more of that. Yeah. Period. <laughs> I'm like, that is so simple. It's obviously nothing I'm not already doing. But yeah. when you look at it, how often are you deliberate or am mm-hmm. I deliberate about figuring out what works and giving them more? And now I schedule a day a month to do exactly that. So what is working here? What are my top Instagram posts? What are my top Facebook group posts? Um, oh, they're liking Henry Cavill. Guess who's mm-hmm. going to show up once a week in my yeah. group? You know, so it's yeah. simple, but I think that that definitely is a useful piece of advice. Yeah, hey, maybe so you smart. Can get, yeah, maybe you can get Henry Cavill to be on your next book, your next book cover. Oh, oh now Fingers we're crossed on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that seems hashtag like a really, goals. <laughs> that seems feasible. Thanks, Kim. I'm it. it out there. That's awesome. Um, so okay. what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career? Uh, looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Yeah. Aside from I know how to write a fiction novel pretty well, <laughs> um, which turned out with some tweaking, it, it was right. So I think one of the assumptions, well, the assumption I made off the top was that this was a hobby, you know, and this was just something that would be fun and never expected it as a career. So that one was big fat wrong. I'm happy to report. Um, <laughs> so I think that was, that was one of the biggies. Um, yeah, that's a, I mean, that turned out well, though. It did turn out well. And I'm trying to think of it did uh, some of the other assumptions. And I think one of them was, and I'm, I think we're going to get into this maybe later, but one of them was, well, if I can do it in this genre, I can do it in another. And that one didn't necessarily turn out to be exactly the way I'd hoped. So yeah, um, yeah. it's not all roses all the time. It's a, no. it's a super fun career and, and I love it more than I've loved anything I've ever done, but it's not without its challenges for sure. Yeah, that is true. Well, so what do you look back on that you've done and think, um, you know, that was probably not worth my time. You know, we all have lots of things like that, but is there anything that comes to mind? Uh, Because I was a blogger, I really did come into this kind of with a blogging mindset and that was to cultivate every channel. Uh, They say, I don't know, whoever they are, they say sometimes (laughs) pick one or two social media channels. I always go go back to social media a lot because it's something I know and They say pick one or two social media channels and really focus on those. But as a blogger, that's not what you do. You're an influencer. You're expected to be everywhere. Um, So I really, and I I had everything but a YouTube channel. I mean, I had one, but I didn't cultivate it. So every year I set off with, okay, this year is going to be my YouTube year and I am going to learn. And I did, I really jumped into YouTube and had some ideas on my channel and I started mapping things out because I wasn't there. Um, And same thing with Pinterest. I'm there. I pin inspiration things, but I know I can have a better Pinterest strategy, hashtagging and organizing my boards and linking back to old books. And so there's a lot I can do there, but I had to give myself permission to not, and to let those things go. Because um, I guess one of the assumptions is that I can be a kind of a blogger, but also an author, but they really are two different things. And so as a blogger, my goal is to write blog posts and to pull people into all these, from these channels to my blog posts. As an author, oh, by the way, I also have to write books and that takes time. So when I'm doing that, I can't be doing all these other things. So I've Mm -hmm. kind of um, scaled those back. So yeah, my YouTube channel is pretty non-existent. My Pinterest page just isn't optimized. It just kind of sits there. Um, But I've had to let those things go. Yeah. I remember um, hearing um, uh, Chris Syme talk about outpost Mm -hmm. social media channels where like you have a presence like on Pinterest and you have stuff there but then you're directing people to your main, like wherever you spend all your time. And to me, that was, I was like, oh, that is awesome. Because then like you're there, but you don't have to be everywhere all the time. That was like a huge relief to me because I don't know that it's possible to to do all the things and write all the books. It's just, we're, we're going to kill ourselves if we keep it up. Yeah. And, and you know, if it's maybe possible, but not necessarily even worthwhile, because yeah. if I did that, then something else isn't happening, the writing the next book or, mm-hmm. and I've learned that some channels are better for authors than others. So I'm a Twitter yeah. girl. I love Twitter. I start my morning every day with Twitter. <laughs> Call me a dinosaur. I love, tw- well, yeah, usually I love Twitter. Yeah, I have to, but I do. Um, but I had to let that go too, because it's not the best channel 
to bring yeah. in your readers. It's great to connect with other authors, but it's, you know, not necessarily the best channel. So I love that, you know, and so I, I guess right now, Twitter, um, Pinterest are definitely outpost channels for me. YouTube, yeah, nobody's finding my YouTube channel. I actually hope they don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty abysmal, but yeah, I, I, I do like that advice. I agree with it. Yeah. So what's the biggest gamble you've taken in your writing career? Hmm. Let's go back to that mistake. Well, I don't know if it was a mistake, but um, we'll go back to the pen name, the paranormal pen name. Um, that was a gamble because I was writing along doing well in historical, and there was really no good reason to do that except, it, again, I was following the muse, right? So I had, after an epic binge of True Blood and Vampire Diaries, I was feeling very vampire, and uh, let's do this. I got it. Um, even when my husband, who is kind of a partner in this with me, said, you know, that seems like it's going to take a lot of time and we're going to take away from the historical. And But if that's where you really want to be, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to be here. Like, this is, I am basically a vampire. So um, <laughs> that that was risky. And, you know, it basically took, I say, five months or so. I was smart about it. I did stockpile historical books. So I didn't oh, have. that's good. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I wasn't completely, I, I'm slightly risk averse. So I went a little bit ahead. I stockpiled some books so that my readers, my historical readers never went longer. I think it was four months, which is long for me. And definitely it took a hit, but it was four months before they got a new release. Mm -hmm. um, but in the meantime, I took five or six months to write three um, rapid release paranormal books. And it didn't go the way I'd hoped, <clears throat> but I can't say I regret it for lots of reasons. One, those books are there. They're well-reviewed and someday I will go back to them and do something with them, but I will do it when vampire is actually um, trending upwards as a market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I hadn't looked at that um, afterwards kind of learning lessons. I wish I knew to really take a look at the paranormal market. I had seen other vampire books doing fine, mm -hmm. um, but it turned out a lot of them were vampire urban fantasy, uh, mm -hmm. vampire paranormal, the vampire romance typically Right now, in early 2020 or 2019, they're coupled with some of the other genres that were doing better. So, uh, shifters, you know, mm -hmm. I wish I had put a shifter in there. And yes, I love vampires, but he could be friends with the shifter and that would have really helped, but he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, vampires are one of those things that they cycle, you know, yes. and yeah. so you will be perfectly positioned whenever they come back around and then yep. you can do like a little relaunch or whatever and, and ride that new wave. So, yeah. Then yeah. that's the plan. Vampires are around forever. Yeah, they see, never die. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're so clever. I know. <laughs> I know. Too bad nobody will pay me to be clever. <laughs> Actually, they kind of do. Well, they kind of do. Yeah, I guess they're right. I used to say, "Too bad nobody pays me to be funny," and then I'm like, "Oh wait, they <laughs> look, do. Hey, look." <laughs> so that's so that's I think the biggie for me. Yeah. Have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing, Cecilia? So I have, I made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing. Can I, can I actually answer the same way and say yes to paranormal? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> because, you know, in a, in a way it was a mistake. I mean, my, I didn't hit my 2019 goals because I basically took the first few months, four months of the year um, and didn't make the income that I would have with historical. So, mm -hmm. you know, in that way, it was a mistake if you look at it in terms of the short term, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. yearly goals and that kind of thing. But I learned so much. Part of what right. I learned now about that reverse engineering and having the marketing there mm -hmm. and, you know, following your muse to a point, all of that I learned because of the paranormal. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, and I'm not saying that my next pen name will, you know, just go wild and crazy because of it. I'm jumping into a huge, hugely competitive genre, but I definitely will apply those lessons that I've learned, you know, in terms of one of the biggies is having a pen name. So I chose not to have the pen name for the paranormal because mm -hmm. I talked to everybody and it just seemed like that was the way I should go. But it was a mistake um, for me, at least. Uh, so many of my historical readers came over. I thought it was being very clever to have some of my, you know, historical clan chiefs and English knights 700 years later be mm -hmm. the vampires in my vampire stories where these historical readers came over that don't typically read that. My also bots from day one and since then have always been historical. They actually are beautiful also bots for a historical. <laughs> like, like all of my favorite authors and, you know, no scammers. They're like pure as can be, but there's zero <laughs> romance. And that's after running Facebook ads, running Amazon, sorry, Amazon mm -hmm. ads to them, 
I did change to a pen name like after two books, two of the three, but it, it was a little too late. So mm-hmm. learning that lesson this time, you know, that's why my historical readers aren't going anywhere near this genre for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's one reason we, we want to talk to people about this. Cause it's like, even though it doesn't work out like we thought it, we wanted it to, we still learn things and we can still apply that in the future. So mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. So, mm-hmm. so is there anything that you've stopped doing um, tasks or goals or things that you've just taken off your list that you think, you know, don't need to do that? <laughs> I mean, I mentioned some, so I definitely, I took off Pinterest. I took off just in a practical sense. I took off trying to create and start a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely took off being so hard on myself. And I know that sounds, that's kind of a mindset thing and it's not a very, I try to be practical. It's important uh, though. But yeah. it is important. I think last January when I put out the first, you know, paranormal and it didn't do what I expected, I, I had a tough few weeks in that, having had success with the historical, I was used to, you know, this is, I put out a book and this is what happens. And this one's going to do at, at least as good or maybe better because it's a bigger audience. And, um, I really had to talk myself (laughs) off of that, you know, those high expectations for myself and just to readjust what the expectations are. And And that lesson also will carry through with this one. I'm going to expect with my first book in the new genre to just build a platform, right? I'm not mm-hmm. going to have the same ex- expectations I did. Um, and again, it's not a practical tip, but I think mindset is important too, because you can easily be defeated in this particular industry because there are ups and downs. And I've learned that um, coming strong out of the gates, you know, success with second book and you leaving your job after, you know, the first six months of publishing comes with a high level, high bar, I guess you yes. could say. Um, yeah. And so in some ways, if I started, you know, and just built myself up, I wouldn't have had that, that, uh, those high expectations. So mm-hmm. I've tempered them a bit and have decided to go a little bit easier on myself. Um, yeah. and that's hard for me to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think when you do that, like leaving the job after six months or, or all the things you were talking, you put a lot of pressure on the next book Sure, and, and that's not always very fair to, to the book yeah. or to us, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, that's definitely yeah. realizing that. And, and, you know, we've talked about this, Jamie, realizing that no two books are really the same. You could do everything right and Absolutely. still not quite hit. And mm-hmm. I, I know that the last book and my, I have a strong series now. I'm very happy with how it's going. Um, I just launched book four and it's doing well. Book three launched on a glitch and I had absolutely no control yeah. over that. It just happened. It was a glitch where Amazon, nothing happened for 24 hours. It was, it was one of those things. Mm-hmm. And so if you do have that pressure, you know, you can really have a few bad days or weeks in this mm-hmm. interview. But now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, so it's a glitch. And this, this launch isn't going to be where I want it to be, but the next one hopefully will be. And mm-hmm. then people will come back and read book three. And that's what they're doing now. No big deal. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's just not panicking over that. Yes. Initial thing, which is hard. It's, it's very it's hard. So when you hard to do. Yeah. yeah. The cover reveal and you're excited about a book. I mean, you just want everyone to do better than the last. And so it is, it is, I think one of the hardest things really. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. Uh, what changes have you seen in your genre over the course of your author career and how have you adapted? So, yeah, I always knew historical readers t- uh, trended older. I think it's one of the reasons Facebook ads can be a little bit tough in my genre. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew always there was a ceiling on historical romance. It's not Mm -hmm. one of the biggest, especially medieval Scottish. If I was willing to write Regency, then maybe that would be a different story. Um, But I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I love reading Regency, but I am not a big fan of that many rules when I'm writing. So Mm -hmm. um, I would say, you know, it hasn't gotten necessary. We haven't picked up younger readers. And mm-hmm. we talk about this a lot in the historical romance community. You know, how do we, a lot of our readers are ones we won't reach. They still are reading trad. They're in bookstores. They're, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hasn't uh, let up, I guess you could say. So mm-hmm. in some ways it's becoming harder. And that's why I really do want to diversify. 
uh, also those scammers. And I know everybody has them in every genre, but I did launch a book. I looked, you know, just this morning, shockingly. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> 10 minutes ago, I, I, you know, I'm None of us do that. As we're talking here. So in my defense, <laughs> but then it's within the last week after a week, I do let it go a bit, but, um, in the top 10 of my genre, at least half, if not more are scammers or 99 cent books. And the visibility is definitely harder than yeah. it was last year. And it's harder last year than it was the year before. So, mm-hmm. you know, I started in 2017 and didn't even give a wink. When people started talking scammers, I was like, listen, head down. You can't control that. You can control what you can control yeah. and don't worry about them. That's great advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do try to take it. But also when you look at your genre and your, you know, your lesson, you know that your visibility is hurting because of it. Yeah. Again, can't do anything about it. You know, these black hat strategies will exist and will continue to, especially if you summon KU, but it's, uh, it's definitely not gotten any. Um, yeah. It's yeah. another one of those like mindset things that like you have to know it's out there and do what you can to deal with it. But a lot of it's just out of our control. So it is. Yeah. And maybe some strategies have to change. I mean, um, but for the most part, you're absolutely right. Like yeah. there's not much we can do about the scammers. I think they'll always exist in some capacity. Yeah. So when you said a lot of the readers are in Tread, so you're talking about younger readers are reading Tread published books in your genre? or No, no. I think a lot of historical readers are, are, are still all, older. Yeah. And I think okay. they're, they're reading in Tread and reading in paperback. And so I've actually talked to some authors about, and I have some historical romance friends, their strategy is to be hybrid. Yeah, um, I was going to say that might, yeah, that might yeah, be and do that kind of thing. And so that's, you know, because I do want to be in historical forever. It's where mm-hmm. my heart is. I absolutely love it. Um, so, you know, if, if I ever did look at that particular journey, you know, of trad pub, it would be for that reason to reach a, a mm-hmm. different readership mm-hmm. specifically in Scottish historical romance where I know they're, re- they're readers, but the practicality of that, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. The idea right. of writing a book and not putting it out. Um, it just, it gives me chills. <laughs> well, yeah, because when you write a book for a trad publisher, that's one less, I mean, yeah, especially for me, because it takes so long. I mean, that's one less book mm-hmm. that you're writing for yourself. And yes. Yeah. It's, that's a hard, if you write really fast and, and you do tend to write faster, um, it might Maybe. not be a big deal, but yeah, it's still hard isn't it, to say. Yeah, that. it is. It is. And I, I, I feel like I might just leave, keep myself at one big risk per year. Right. So it's <laughs> <laughs> a good plan crazy yeah. like let's try this out and see what happens yeah um, so maybe that could be yeah. 2021 who knows yeah right yeah right. yeah so mi- mystery is sort of the same as the readers skew older and I've had a lot of success with print recently and so one of my new strategies is like getting all the books in paperback and I'm doing large print and trying to get them in libraries and stuff so that's been you know a new thing that I'm trying to do. So that might well, be, you're doing well at that though. Yeah. That's it's going really well. well. Yeah. It's definitely harder to track though, because like, you know, if you go look at your Amazon rank- rankings, it doesn't show anything, you know, it has no impact on that. So it's, but it's, they are getting out there and libraries are buying them. So that might be another, you know, possibility for people who have genres that are uh, a little bit older, Legal. maybe not so, so into the eBooks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I would absolutely love to hear some of your strategies. I have um, the books on Ingram. I actually tested out paper, uh, sorry, hardcovers with this particular uh, series. So they are all listed now in paperback and in hardcover and Ingram. So that should be on my to-do list. Um, yeah. yeah. The large yeah. print might really work for you, Cecilia. I've thought mm-hmm. of that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so stick. Thanks ladies. And I have a larger to-do list today. Sorry. Okay. So um, what's the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success in your author career? The best thing I've done to set myself up for success has been to, I think really cultivate what the reader's, the reader avatar, so to say, um, you know, knowing what my readers want. And I did that even before I put out the very first book. I started with my social media because I had social media platforms and I started to ask questions. Okay, all these people on Twitter, does anybody read romance books? What do you like? What do you read? Uh, Where do you read? How do you read? And I did that on Instagram. I did it on Facebook. I did it on Twitter because I had, again, those, a lot of my blogger followers tended to be, um, because I was kind of, I hate this term now, but mom blogger. So um, mm-hmm. 
there were a lot of moms and there were people that read. And so I have known because I kind of came from marketing that it was really important for me to understand the reader. Um, I obviously lost sight of that a bit when I decided that vampires were my life, but now, uh, <laughs> just a little back, detour, your, your <laughs> eternal loss. Yeah. <laughs> my eternal life. I can't stop with the puns. I'm sorry. I love it. No. So I think, I think doing that. And so kind of jumping into the pen name, I'm doing exactly that same thing and really trying to get a pulse on, I've read romance for my, my entire life. And I've read a lot of my friends, contemporary romances, um, just because they're my friends, but now really getting my pulse on what, makes the contemporary romance reader tick Mm -hmm. what do those beats look like as opposed to the historical what what is you know i've never written first person so navigating what that to what changes that will bring and such and practicing that um you know so i'm kind of taking those same lessons from the first platform build and and using them again um but i'm going to do some things different this time i'm really hesitant and i'll be honest where i'm at today is not real sure but I did a lot of platform build things the first time before I had a book out, you know, gave away books of similar, mm-hmm. similar mm-hmm. genre and right. things like that. And I'm really kind of questioning whether I'll do that or not. And I'm, I'm still on the fence about it. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to keep in my historical, my lists a little bit more pure. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I won't ever do list builders or things like that, but definitely have scaled back on those. You know, I just mm-hmm. got rid of 6,000 subscribers um, that I was paying for that, you know, I, I could have kept some and I, yeah. yeah, and I know that there's different mm-hmm. things on that, whether you should keep them or get rid of them, but I, I, I got rid of them and, uh, not, not wanting to pay for people that hadn't opened in six months, a year, mm-hmm. um, even though yeah. I know the opens are hard to track. And again, there's lots of theories on that, but I do think I want to cultivate an audience this time that is excited about the exact thing I plan to offer them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but being very deliberate on that, again, going back to having learned that, yeah, I have to look at this through a marketing lens. Everyone mm-hmm. says this is a business, right? If you're right. publishing mm-hmm. and you're publishing, it is a business. But I'm not, I'm not sure I understood what that meant until now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was actually at Nink when someone mentioned the idea of reverse engineering. I was like, oh, that's so clinical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Why would I do that? <laughs> and now here I am. Yeah. 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 It's true. And you, when you hear people say, write the book you want to, you know, write the book you want to write, that'll make you so happy. It's true. I mean, mm-hmm. you can do that. You have to, yeah. you have to also know that, that if you don't look at the stuff you're talking about, that book may not find a place. And that yeah. to me, that's sad because you've spent all this time and it is the book you wanted to write. So mm-hmm. wouldn't you want it to have a home as well? So I think you can do both. You just you have can. to be, you have to be deliberate about it. I think. You can. And I would never jump into um, a genre, you know, and I know some people will, and I'm not judging at all. I mean, I absolutely think it is a business and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, you, you have to treat it that way. I personally would have to enjoy reading it. And yeah. for me, um, I couldn't write just anything, you know, mm-hmm. I mentioned Regency. I absolutely love Regency. The market is there in Regency. It's much better than medieval or Scottish or combined but I won't be writing it because I know that even if it would be a good business decision, mm-hmm. it's just not a good fit for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still looking at that as well. And uh, I, I, I personally can't write anything that I wouldn't be excited to sit down and write. Yeah. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But that's really smart because you're taking into account what you enjoy and what you want to do as well as the market. And it's like, you're taking like a, a big picture, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes it just like, for me, it took me a long time to get to that point where I was like, Oh, if I write this series that I really like the idea of, I will also have people I can advertise to, you know, like I'll have those comp authors Mm -hmm. and, you know, just things like that, that I didn't even think about in the beginning. So yeah, Yeah, things. So besides the, the vampire book, is there, do you have another wish I'd known then moment in your writing career? Something that you just wish you'd known at the beginning that. Yeah. I wish I had known, um, And I guess inherently I did how important friends would be and how important networking would be. Mm -hmm. But I, I think I undervalued the importance of those relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to conferences in the beginning because I love being around people. I miss (laughs) colleagues. It's just who I am. And I went and I went to parties and I had great time and it was lots of fun. And now I realize, you know, for example, you know, just looking back two years, well, 
yeah, I probably, if I really was jumping into paranormal, I, I should have spent maybe a one or two less minutes with my buddies and <laughs> had gone out and sought people who wrote paranormal romance. But I right. didn't do that because, um, again, I'm a social pe- person and I was like, well, I'm with my friends and this is mm-hmm. really great. Again, putting that business hat on too mm-hmm. and realizing that. But I do think that those relationships, you know, my relationship with the historical author community can't be just, it's, it's everything. And you guys probably, I'm sure have the same in your own genres. Mm-hmm. Um, having the genuine support of people who believe in what you do and your work mm-hmm. is super, super important. And, uh, and that's actually one of the daunting things about jumping into a new genre. Mm-hmm. I found some great paranormal people as well. And doing that again seems a little bit overwhelming, but now I understand how important that is to this um, career. I would say it's one of the most important things that networking and, and for me, which is why I find value in conferences. Some people say, well, it's away from writing time and it does cost a lot of money, but you will never find me at less than two a year. It's just part of my strategy. Yeah. Me too. Well, last year I was conference queen, but me too. (laughs) you um, and I were like buying for the crown. We were on the, on the float as the parade went by. Um, yeah, Yeah. but this year I'm, I'm only going to two, I think. Think, but yeah, right now I'm only going to two. But yeah, yeah, I would say that if you're in a if you're in a genre and you don't have author friends in your genre, that needs to be at the top of your priority list. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. so important. And Mm -hmm. if you're in a genre with people who are not supporting you as a peer and a colleague, you need to find new friends because they're out there. And it's just super important to have mm-hmm. those people. If for no mm-hmm. other reason, just to call somebody up and say, today is not a good day for me and mm-hmm. have them talk you off the ledge. And uh, yeah. so I think yeah. that's really good. And I'm an introvert I and I agree about going to conferences and meeting people. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to get out, of, get out of my shell. But then once I'm out there, I really enjoy it, you know, yeah. so yeah. it's important. Good. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think it's it's um, and as um, Jamie mentioned too, even the mental health part of it. You know, mm-hmm. being I was excited to talk to you guys. I'm like I'm going to see people, <laughs> 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 so which is, is awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's very good. So, where can people find you, Cecilia? So they can find me pretty much Cecilia Mecca everywhere. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. And Facebook and Twitter, believe it or not, as I mentioned. So I do lo- love to connect with other authors there. So, but pretty much at Cecilia Mecca and authors, as you mentioned, again, thanks for that launching indie. That was just kind of a passion project. Yes. I, I do like being a part of groups and being able to connect with authors on Facebook mm-hmm. because you're not, I'm not necessarily doing it in real life. I don't have an author's group here in, in Chile, Northeast PA. So, um, <laughs> but I wanted a place that was really focused on just the positive stuff because you can get really bogged down and Amazon's broke and I hate this. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. So I just wanted a place where this is all about things that can go right. Um, right. there's a lot of that too. Right. So that's launching indie on Facebook yeah. and that's face. That's a private Facebook group yeah. that you have to join. Um, yep. Asked to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, we're so glad you were here with us today. Like I said, I was looking forward to this. So thank you <laughs> for the amazing writing break and letting me actually speak with human beings. Today. I know. So it, it was good to talk to you. Get those words out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, ladies. And good All luck right. on the podcast. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Men podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.